Wouldn't it be great if three idiots picked apart the hard work of three brothers and their dad from West Virginia? We do that. Wouldn't it be great if each week we discuss the newest episode, ongoing theories, and predictions for what comes next? We do that. Wouldn't it be great if they didn't ruin the podcast at all and kept it spoiler-free? We don't do that. You've been warned. Welcome to We Do That, a Taz fancast. I'm your co-host and 30 under 30 immediate... Fuck, no. I'm just Jake. And I'm Chris. And I'm Colin. And we're idiots, but we sure love the Adventure Zone. This week's discussion, Amnesty, set up in episode one. So, the newest mini-arc um, of the Adventure Zone has debuted. Uh, we're very excited for it, but we have some thoughts, and especially after their setup episode and the first real episode this last Thursday, I think we can, you know, spend some time talking about what's been going on, a little bit of sort of comparison based on what we saw before with Commitment, um, where we're going with Amnesty, and, you know, where the Adventure Zone broadly is going sure absolutely um, um but what do you think about this practice because they didn't figure out what balance was going to be called until like the fifth or sixth arc it was a long time before they figured out balance well so i think that's the trick is i think um so i think there's two things at play one presumably they know they're going to do a four episode five episode stint ideally um we'll talk about that later um <clears throat> But I think if you are DMing it, if you know if it's Clint's arc or Cass's arc or Griffin's arc, I think they'll know enough of where they're going that they have the information to name it. So I think in that regard, I am pro. I think it's good to have a name for it. I think it's, it makes it easy to refer to. I don't think the names have necessarily given anything away so far. Um, that not that you would get anything from balance really, but um, I think. Knowing that it's called Amnesty doesn't ruin my experience, and it's nice to have something to call it. Sure. Um, I, what would you think about them naming the second season, the the second long arc that they do? What would you think if they came out with the name of that before it even started? Would you have a problem with that? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. If, if nothing else, then when you read a book, you know the title. That's fair, but when you read a book, it all already exists. I think there's some sort of problem in these mini arcs. Yes, maybe the whole arc is planned out, but in a longer arc, I think you have to maintain the flexibility to change the story. Griffin didn't, first of all, in um, Balance, Griffin was accused several times of railroading his characters because he had a story already in mind. In RPGs, it's kind of freewheeling. Anything can happen. I think you have to have the flexibility that a name might not allow you, even with these sort of vague names, these sort of names that refer to ideas instead of events. So you'd rather see The Adventure Zone Season 1.2.1, I think I'm fine with it in these mini arcs, but I'd rather see Season 2. Um, and so I, I, I guess what you're, you're you're bringing out is that 
you want the room there for the themes to develop rather than to be shoehorned in. Exactly, because it may not be organic otherwise. Well, and I think, so that, I think, takes us into what's going on in Amnesty generally. Um, and I think it's, I think it will be fair to compare this to Clint's art to some extent, to compare it to Commitment. I think references to balance might get us in trouble, because uh, there's a, you know, we're talking about way different worlds of, of world building and character development and the whole nine yards. I agree. Um, but if we want to talk about no, it's gone. I don't know what we're talking about. It, well, that's my head immediately. Amnesty? Yeah. Compared to uh, Commitment. Right. In what way? What was we were talking about themes. Themes. No, it's still gone. Oh, boy. Okay, so what did you guys think of Amnesty compared to Commitment in terms of the setup? I'm... I, 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 think, it, I think it's better. You know, I'm... Oh, it's back now! I remember what it is now! And we'll reorder this in post, but go, Chris. Uh, no, I think this is good. It feels very natural. Um, so, this, I think, is something that they seem to have taken to heart after Commitment, which was they had very well fleshed out characters going into Commitment that unnecessarily, it was an unnecessary amount of depth, perhaps. And I do think that some of the love that was built up in balance for Transformers Boys was because of seeing the character development happen rather than them existing as fully fleshed out characters in this world. So I would I would counter that um, I agree in seeing the character development happen, but in the course of four episodes, I don't think there's a lot of time for character development. However, I think they've done a better job by not letting us in on their backstories, whatever they have in their mind, because it allows us as um, listeners to kind of build that ourselves. Uh, you know, it's an indefinite background. We, and it, the background's not what's important. The fact that Remy in Commitment was a gymnast, an Olympic level gymnast, had no bearing on the story, except that he did sweet flips. Right. Um, and so I think in that regard, it's a lot better because we get to develop the characters, our, you know, our interpretations of the characters very organically, very naturally. So I think I think you raise a good point because what's what's important is that they know their background. Mm -hmm. I don't think it matters for us, and I would say that it could be enhanced by us not knowing it. Um, just in terms of being able to better build the relationship with that character as they discover the world, because if we're if we're both arriving in this case in Kepler at the same time, presumably. Um, with them as they go along this adventure. Whereas if we know that they are courageous or they're or whatever it is from previous art, that it's harder for us. I felt it harder to keep all of what I was supposed to know, presumably supposed to know about the commitment characters in my head and then apply it to how they were taking actions in the story. Whereas if I had learned it like we did in balance over the course of Well, I do think it's interesting in balance. The only person who had a, flush, a fleshed out backstory from the beginning was Travis. Right. And we did not learn that really backstory until the Refuge arc, I believe. Like, the backstory didn't matter. Taco is from TV, whatever. Right. We knew 
Clint's character, Merle, was, uh, we knew Merle uh, was a, dwar- a, be- a beach dwarf, if such a thing exists. But like we didn't know their backstories. We didn't know about Peckabo. We didn't know about Ra- uh, Raven's Roost. You remember those, but not Merle. Yeah, all right. <laughs> it's it's like Taco says, or Johnson says one of them, like two M names. Is it Merle? Is it Magnus? Can be one it's of a them. High Church is a High Tower. I mean, yeah. Clint can't keep it straight much. Merle High Tower High Church. <laughs> But no, I, I think I think I think you're right, and I think that's something that, you know, they're learning how to do this along with us, sure. like because, and and we can definitely see that transition happen in just the differences between these two setup episodes. Yes. You know, I think that, you know, we got a much clearer understanding of the world in this episode versus the commitment episode, which will probably end up being more valuable. Whereas we got a much deeper understanding of these characters and commitment that ended up, you know, I think if commitment had continued, then knowing that character information would have been more useful. But so, but I would say in terms of the world building, how much of that do you think is it being Griffin versus Clint as opposed to if Travis had done the second one? Because I do think that Griffin has an ace of his sleeve of having already built the balance world, fully understanding, because presumably, uh, I'm guessing that since Griffin edits the whole thing, he's listened to all of it back again, <clears throat> which I think gives him a better critical ear to then pick up the world of the things. You can even tell from where Clint's first episode jumped into, your three characters in a place, what do you do? Whereas Griffin led in with a narrative, like, storytelling. I, I do didn't come up in Clint's much at all. Yes, I do think I do think there's a distinct difference I did want to talk about between Clint's GMing versus Griffin's GMing, and I think it's pretty apparent to anybody who's listened to the two episodes. I do think Griffin gets a lot of bonus by being the one who does the post-production. Yes. Um, because there's no way Clint could go through the narrative portions, five minutes of narration, without being interrupted by Travis, Justin, or Griffin. Now, I would say, like, it's not out of the realm of possibility for Clint to say, hey, I have the right narration and delay it to Travis. Like, they That's all true. have studios in their homes. They could get in there and do it if that was how they wanted to tell their art. Yes. If they felt that was a valuable tool for what they were building. Right. Right, but I don't think Griffin even has to ask. He just... Right, he just knows. Well, and I think he knows. Uh, I know that as soon as Griffin launched into the narrative storytelling, I felt immediately more immersed in the world. I think I was... I felt that there was not a lot of depth to what Clint had built to really let us get into the world. There was a lot of scenarios that were set up, but not a big place in time. It, it seemed felt kind of disjointed. So, not I, no, yeah, go for it. Not to dwell on commitment, but I did have a couple significant issues with it. The first being that the scope was so large that it, you cannot comprehend that in four episodes. Yeah. You just can't. There's something like, what, 48 characters he's in charge yeah. of? There's definitely an issue of scale if you try to commit, compare commitment and Clint. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. And I think he did lack a lot of world building. For instance, when they went to the amusement park and they're walking along the road, the only things he ever mentions 
are like the two tracks, like the puzzle they have to get through, and then the people they fight. Otherwise, he mentions nothing about the park. Right. Which other than some, there are some generic setup noise of like you're entering a rundown theme park. Yes. But that's that's not what immerses you into the world. Right. You know, I felt more in the Mahangalia. Oh shit! Mahangahila. I've been there, y'all. Yeah. So say Spoiler one more time. Alert. Say one more time. I've been outside. Uh, Monongahela. Monongahela. Good. So the guy who has the Wi-Fi password for nature. <laughs> I didn't like it, but I've been outside. <laughs> uh, so like Griffin's storytelling, you know, I've never been to the Monongahela National Forest. Oh, it can get super spooky. So, like, totally with. This is a jump ahead a bit, but like. Well, no, it's good. I think we should get. I think we should yeah. get into episode one because I think we're. I think well, we're I, I, I still think we need. We should talk about. We did a lot of comparisons. I think we should talk about. Yeah. The, how we felt about the setup of Amnesty. So how are we feeling about this? Uh, what is it? Power by Apocalypse system. Pro. I think I'm feeling pro. I was initially very skeptical when Griffin said this is what he based the stolen century on. Listeners at home will see Chris tapping his nose. But I did not know that meant an agreement. I thought he had a stuffy nose. Um, but uh, I think with the rules being more fleshed out, I am a lot more comfortable with it. The I, I agree. Like Because there's a structure to it. Agreed. And I, th I think you know Griffin brought that up at the end of the episode. Right? That there are a lot of differences. And it was sort of that... And maybe it was a comfort level. You know, yeah, I like absolutely. having discrete sets of skills. We're all coming at this from a D&D type background where I'm comfortable knowing that certain actions are covered by a skill. Right. Even if the skills are different and the rolling is different. But the boiled down version didn't work for me. So I was also nervous to know that Oh man, we're going into this again. The one thing that leaves me nervous with the game system and how they've implemented is the type of character Justin is playing is called the Chosen One. But the first thing they say is that the intended purpose of like you're the Chosen One and everybody else is sort of working with you to for you to fulfill your destiny. The first thing he says, we're not going to do that because that doesn't interest me narratively. I understand it doesn't interest them narratively, but that's how the game was designed. And so I'm a little cautious of them. We all know... Like fighting the game system? To yeah, we already know they kind of played fast and loose with Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of those things that is this an actual accurate representation of the system, which is not their goal. Their goal is a sort of cooperative storytelling podcast. Um, but yeah. it does leave me a little concerned of what sort of things are they going to ad-lib that doesn't actually work within the system. And I guess the my question would be how much does that matter? Like if because there's I guess there's two approaches to make you can take it as are we are we listening to it as an actual play podcast of a Power by the Apocalypse game or are you listening to it because they're telling a fun story and we want to be a part of that story and we like the way that they like group you know group things in their way to people explore them. And I think that's a fair question and a fair um, critique. And I think the focus is more on the storytelling. But I do think there are those moments where one of the characters will do something and Griffin will go, no, wait, that's not sort of what I want to happen. 
or this is what I will allow to happen. He's a very flexible GM, which is both a good thing and I think sort of a, a bad thing. Yeah. Um, there has to be some moderation, some balance to it. Um, and so I'm interested to see how that plays out. That's the one thing about the setup that gave me concern. Otherwise, it sounds fantastic. Yeah, and I'm super into the whole, you know, I, I'm equally into the whole monster of the week idea of this. I think the more simple rule set, the smaller numbers, I think that's yeah. going to be much easier to handle as a listening audience. Yeah, smaller numbers, immediate higher stakes, given the limited hit points. Yeah. And, and as at least as Griffin has designed it, very grounded in reality, yeah. which I think is good. Yes. With the exception of people in West Virginia not owning guns. Right. That does seem out of character. Yes. Like, that park ranger, uh, or sorry, Duke would have said that. Duck. Duck. <laughs> well, I'll get him next time. <laughs> not my week. Yeah. Uh, that did yeah, seem... Yeah, you know, and, uh, I mean, maybe he has guns, just not on the job. If your job is wandering the forest, that's when you're most likely to have guns. Oh, okay. So, the episode started, and my brain went to, God damn it, I hope there's not a werewolf. And it's not a werewolf, but it's something close. And so... What do you have against werewolves? Oh, super scared of werewolves. Really? This is new information. Oh, like legitimate fear. Uh, Anytime I hear, like, a bin fall over outside, it's like, oh... It's so a werewolf, I'm done. Anytime so the dog howls. Six weeks for you. Oh, it might very well be. One of my favorite Mabim Bam deep cuts is when they say, you know, the next time a werewolf shows up, we're just playing Calvin Ball. And that's how I feel right now. Like, I might just peace out from this arc because can't handle werewolves or things of that ilk. Interesting. I'm learning a lot about you. What do you think about the hit song, Werewolf Bar Mitzvah? Is it spooky <laughs> or, or is scary? it scary? <laughs> what about Werewolves of London? Did I you? really love Werewolves oh, of London. Yeah. Werewolves of London. And that's fair use. Stop. <laughs> yeah, it's, all, it's all fair use. It's basically a parody when I sing it. <laughs> um, so we can get into the meat of episode one now, if we're so inclined. First... First thing that one thing that came up in the setup episode that I wanted to address, and it relates to episode one as well, is the music is yeah. just fantastic. I completely agree. Right for the setting, for grounding us in reality, it's just wonderful. I love it. Um, it reminded me a lot of of uh, a lot of different things, but really um, the the scene from Red Dead Redemption when you first go into Mexico and it's that Ho- Jose Gonzalez song. With just the the guitar and the singing, even though this obviously doesn't have singing, but it, it kind of takes you into that. Okay, we're in nature. We're not in the city. It's very laid back. It's very, but there's also a little more to it. Yeah, I do. I do think when I listen to it, I hear it in almost. Uh, and this might just be because of background thing. I hear it, and it sets me in a northwestern forest rather than a what is this Midwest. We're in West Virginia. I know Appalachian. West Virginia. Appal- Appalachian. Appalachian Forest. Um, For context, we're court recording this in Richmond, Virginia, so he should damn well better know where West Virginia is. I know where it is. I can get there. I've been there. I just don't know what region one might describe it as being in. Because Appalachia isn't a region I frequently use as a name. 
you sort of go around it. I would agree. It, it did feel more Western to me, probably because I linked it to Red Dead Redemption. Um, and, you know, having been to the Knoxville, Tennessee region, which is you got to drive through Appalachia to get there. It's not the kind of music I would necessarily associate with the region, um, but I loved it all the same. It's I think it's a really well done piece of music, um, and whether or not it fits the the region, it definitely fits the podcast. Yes, agree completely. You know, and so I, for me, it reminded me a lot of Darren Korb's uh, fantastic soundtrack to Bastion, um, which. You know, I don't know where the themes of this arc are building, but it was a story about community in very broad senses. And, you know, the people that we keep close to us and knowing that Kepler is such a small town with these sort of different community aspects, I think it fit really well there and and sort of struck all of those right chords for me. And I was going to say, that's something Griffin brought up a lot in the setup episode. Because I really like this idea of a community at odds with itself. Of Mm -hmm. the tourist town versus the crypto zoological town. Um, And so I think that will be a big thing that we see sort of play out one way or another. I don't think we've seen it yet because we haven't seen enough characters yet. But I think we will. Well, I mean... And so, so I think that's a good transition to move us into, let's talk about episode one. Because I think we start to see that when we look at the relationship between Janet, the male lady, and Kirby. Janice. Janice. It starts with a J. I don't. You got a real, a lot closer than I did on that fucking thing. <laughs> that's true. As close as I did on the fucking thing. So, before we get to Janet, would it make sense to go through the three scenes as they happen chronologically in the episode? Yes. Doc, Aubrey, and then um, Ned? Well, yes. Sure. I think so. But I had a community connection. Okay. I apologize. Do you want to restart? And, you know, we'll fix it. We'll fix it. (laughs) Yeah, this whole microphone's broken. I think so. Is it now recording? (sighs) They're both recording differently. There's things happening. It's going to be a top ten. All the best ones are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Money episode. You guys don't know how many podcasts I do by myself. <laughs> no one else will. Um, but yeah, no, I think with the community, we see some of that. With Janice's interactions and Kirby and Ned's interactions and how, you know, this eviction notice that may or may not be drummed up or intensified by this sort of at oddsness between these sort of two worlds in Kepler. Um, you know, which I mean, I think works with where we can tell the stories going like there's this supernatural world and there's the real world. And, you know, that's, that's a nice balance between these two sides of the town in the real world that are also very different. So I think we start to see some of that there. So for me, it, it, it does sort of, the theme sticks. It all connects. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I think we see that in the other parts of the episode as well. Even though he's focusing, Griffin has taken him one character at a time, 
it's not a character just being alone, right? They're interacting with their community. They're um, interacting with the world around them, of course. Uh, but I think there's a strong connection of, you know, he didn't have them meet each other. He had them meet other people he was controlling to build the world and build that sense of community to find out where these people fit in. So I wonder about that as a, as a narrative technique, though. If you're playing for four episodes or five episodes, if you're going to burn an episode doing backstory, which is sort of what we talked about with commitment, while I think I know Duck and Aubrey and Ned better, do I, I sort of felt like Aubrey should have been in the RV. Uh, here is, I don't disagree with that, but here's the question I would pose to you. Are either of you confident that Griffin doesn't make this last more than four episodes? Oh, no. Absolutely no, no, no. not. It's going on. We take yeah. it over on there right now? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to put it at... I'm going to put it at eight. Uh, see, I had six. Uh, so, over-unders, you usually choose a number like 7.5? I don't know works. Yeah, like, yeah. you don't choose a number everybody can just bet on. Then um, I would like to play the game where we choose a number. And I pick the number of eight. My inclination would be eight as well. Well, and then so I believe under. Yes. Yeah. So yes. We solved the betting puzzle. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> so if the line is at, let's say, seven and a half, uh, we've got two over and one under, and we'll see what happens. Okay. There aren't going to be any half episodes. That's why you put it at seven and a half. So you can either take... So I, is it Price is Right rules where I win if it's at seven? No, no. You choose you. You are not choosing numbers. You're choosing over or under seven and a half. So if you think it's going to go seven or fewer episodes, you would choose under. If you think it's going to go eight or more episodes, you choose the over. Therefore, you are under. You are wel- uh, welcome to our uh, learn how to bet podcast. I uh, actually know very little about gambling, betting, boys. So what are you talking at? There's nothing over there. I was you're talking at the table to the people. <laughs> It's it was sort of like it's up there. Like Jim looks we, at the camera moment for our audience. But you looked at the computer. That's not where the sound goes. The sound goes. Yes, the but that's where I'm going to interface with the people. The people aren't in there yet. This probably isn't going to be. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, who's, who's listening to this? We're literally playing this for my wife, and that's about it. She's got about thirty seconds, and we're done. <laughs> we haven't said dunk yet. Ah, uh, <laughs> dunk. <laughs> I hate us and everything we do. Have fun editing all of that. <laughs> no, it's in. Just keep it at. Um, oh boy, this is going to get a lot of attention. Um, I just realized I have GarageBand set to record in measures, so I have no idea how long this is. It's 838 bucks. <laughs> Don't know. Could do math, but not good. I can't wait till I tweet this at Griffin and see, <laughs> see what he thinks. Yeah. Um, Alright, so we start the episode with narration, which I think we've covered already. I don't think we need to cover the context because presumably everyone listened to the episode. So otherwise, how'd you get here? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, spoilers, I guess. <laughs> uh, we'll put that, when we record the intro, we'll put a spoiler one way. For literally everything. Um, <laughs> for life. The Titanic thing. Uh, but we meet Duck on his shift in the forest. Yes. Of which we have already taken liberties with reality in terms of what a district ranger does to fit Griffin's needs. Yes. Now, 
when he said that in when he was in the office and he says you're also sort of wearing your park ranger hat and that you're dealing with distress calls and were you picturing like him with two hats on? I literally thought he meant the hat. <laughs> I said, "Of course he's wearing the hat, Griffin. He's on the job." <laughs> I don't want to discuss how many times I listened to it before I realized he meant a metaphorical hat. Yeah, that's tricky. <laughs> take off my ring counting hat and put on my answer in the phone hat. Yeah, this, this is why I work with numbers. Yeah, as opposed to hats? Words. Oh. All right. Or hats. And I also imagine he does this because I need you to do this for this story. Mm-hmm. Um, which then brings us to the trailer and then we encounter Pigeon, our first native of Tekla. Right? After, well, after, after the Duck. And Duck. Well, Duck doesn't count. He's a player character. Well, he's still native. NPC. Our okay. first NPC of, of, of Tekla. That's what I wanted. I'm just trying to give you the word you need. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Okay, but I want to put a brief pause in here because what Clint said something that I think got underappreciated by the brothers three when he was talking about Smokey. Um, because so is Smokey a cryptid? No, because oh. it's Barry Blue Jeans. <laughs> Jesus, I did. Uh, yeah. he, he did say a bear <laughs> in blue, blue jeans. jeans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really and it sort of just like moved past it, and I was in my room dying. I I heard I connected to Barry Blue Jeans. I did not connect the Barry part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I heard the Blue Jeans part. Yeah, uh, for our listeners at home, B E A R Y. Yeah, Barry Blue Jeans. That's good claim. B E double R Y. Why? Obstinance. Okay. Yeah, that's the best I got. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> we'll just chop so that one up to obstinates. <laughs> uh, okay, so what do you guys think about Duck Newton? Because first of all, I think Justin is amazing at role playing. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, when Taco and Cardala are my favorites. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I know Taco started out kind of goofy, but he gained so much emotional depth and man, I love Cardala. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's not Ranger season. Like, yeah. Yeah. Choice very, quote very of the episode. Yeah. Um, that should be a t-shirt very, very soon. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And I think it was interesting, you know, he radios the police and Griff's like, okay, what are you going to do? Just stand there? It's like, no, but if I'm a Ranger right. in the forest and somebody's tried to shoot me, and I'm not carrying a weapon. Because you won't let me have a gun. Yeah, I'm not just gonna, you know, um, John McClain it into that trailer and take him out. I'm gonna call for backup. Right. And try and disengage. And then shout from behind a tree for a little while. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. what he did. Um, and it's just, I, I love the character choices he makes because I think they all feel very true to the character. Yes. Whereas I... And so I guess, you know... Not to keep comparing to commitment or to balance, but the 
fact that in the first episode, you're able to make a decision that feels right for the character, even though we didn't have a lengthy explanation or exploration of this character, is, like, that's where we should be. And I feel like all three players really nailed that, right? Like, I think that we have just enough to, like, feel grounded with this character, but not so much that we're like, oh, of course that's what happened. Right, right, absolutely. Uh, and maybe it's because I was comparing it mostly to the job a ranger would have, but it all seemed very appropriate, except for the part where he's just talking quietly to a closed door after she got shot. And he just Anyway. Right. The, the, yeah, the, how the, bad was that shotgun? Yeah, like, it's a pretty bad shotgun. Right. I do think there was a there was a a miss or a comical moment in my head of Duck poking his head through the hole that the shotgun had left and saying, "What are you doing, pigeon?" After they've established a couple things. No. But uh, I'll forgive it in the in the face of probably Duck doesn't survive that time if he's supposed to be counting trees. That's that's fair. Um, and no, I think, he lives in West Virginia, so he probably does survive that time. Well, I think... Throw out a stereotype in there real quick. Justin was trying to talk to her through the door, and Griffin said, there's no hole in the door, it gets dented it. Right. Which is a bad, bad gun. It's a bad gun. It's not it's, a good gun. That's not great. It's a sandbag gun. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Also, RV doors are not very thick. There's not a lot going on. It's, no. They're kind of meshy, and there's some aluminum. Like, you could probably kick it. Yeah, and go right through it. Yeah. So it does seem strange. This is a bad, bad shotgun. He said it was buckshot. I would not shoot that at a buck. That buck will run you over. Right. That buck is just a little over. Yeah. Exactly. You probably scratched an itch. Um. So, duck and pigeon have have their interaction. Sorry. So duck and pigeon have their interaction, and we get a first taste of what the monster will be. I think. What it you might th- be a werewolf. Yeah. yeah, but it might be a patchwork werewolf, which I think, for my little phobia, is even worse. I don't know what that is. Did you not hear it say where it's like got a horn and it was like yeah. made of different parts? Well, but I don't know what a patchwork werewolf is. Are you thinking like like? Is that so? Here's here's. Are you theorizing? You're just, you're just putting it together. That's not a thing. Those are just two words you put together. Are you theorizing that someone has built this werewolf? Oh God, that. No, but now that's in my head and it's really scary. Yes, uh, I I would also agree. I do not think that's what happened. Oh, I don't either. I okay. just don't know what Jake thinks. Okay, fair. No, so because so I'm really... imagining that. So, there's another world on the other side of this archway, right? Like, mm-hmm. or, there, the archway connects to another place. Yes. And something has happened in this other place that sort of brought things together it's differently. Been, it's been activated yeah. somehow. Um, and so, I think this is just a denizen of... And so it's probably not a werewolf, which but, is like good for me to say out loud, so right, that I can work my way through it, work my way through this anxiety. Um, but it's probably not a werewolf. It's probably, you know, some 
embodiment of whatever's on the other side of this arch. Like a minotaur or yeah. something. Uh, so you raised a question. You raised a question for me that I hadn't thought about before is, is do you think we're going to end up in a point... So they talked about uh, the Dresden series inspiring the game. The Dresden series was a lot of Monster of the Week, but also had an overarching nemesis for Harry Dresden. Do you think Griffin is approaching any of this game with that in mind? That this... This is the monster they need to fix. They'll take the next five episodes finding this Patrick piece with a horn. Do you think it resolves and the monster's the end of it? Or is it going to be built out enough that it could then turn into season two? And there's going to be an overarching threat that we get a hint of in these five to eight episodes. So that's something I was thinking of. I think it'll definitely be something that is expandable into a larger campaign. And one thing I thought was interesting, because it's of the week, um, they don't necessarily have to keep one GM. Yeah. They could rotate GMs, and like Griffin build a character within this world. Um, they were talking about how in the game you have the ability to retire characters, give them over to the Keeper. Um, so that's something that I could definitely see as a possibility. Because I think Griffin is a terrific... Um, you know, game master, but I, I get the feeling that he also sort of wants to see that, you know, be a character in these worlds as well. Yeah. Um, and so I think I think it definitely has a potential for that, and it also has a potential for Justin or Travis or Clint to step in at any time and take over for an arc or a mini arc. Yeah. Of a week in terms of the game exactly. Or it could be done in eight episodes and you move on to the next one. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so Aubrey is doing her magic at a near a children's birthday show. Not for the children, necessarily, but around them. And it goes, uh, I think it's an interesting setup because you start, whereas Duff starts in a, we'll call it perilous situation at which he is very adept. Aubrey set up as a character who is in a situation in which they are out of control in multiple ways, but have in that they cause a fire they can't control, they bring the fire under control through means they don't fully understand, and then run into NPCs who only provide more questions. Which I think is a narrative thing. I wonder if Griffin and Travis had talked about this previously. If Travis wants to play Aubrey as someone who's discovering the power is much younger than the other two characters that they've created. Are they purposely aligning the narrative with what to build on that to give them those awkward sort of teen young adult moments where you're trying to find yourself? Or do you think they sort of arrived at them separately? Travis built this character, Griffin is just sort of playing into what would a teenage magician is Aubrey's age established? Because it definitely feels like a teenage character who's coming into her own, but I don't know that it's ever established how old the character is. And I'm I don't, just, I don't think it has been. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember the number. I, I have always put it at like a late teen, mm-hmm. um, in like the 17, 18, 19 range. Right, and that's how it feels to me as well. Right. I just wonder if that's how they intended it, or if they intended it to be a twenty-something 
And see, that's where my head was, where I was like, this is a, this is a real adult. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I still think that those sorts of explorations and new, you know, that's, that's the thing about magic, right? Is it can happen at any time. Well, and I guess, you know, from, from the, um, from the, not the second episode, but the first episode of the arc, um, Travis attempts briefly to give Aubrey a motorcycle, which would establish that she's possibly a driving age. So we can at least pull from that that she's above 12. Let's just do this. 15? 12? Really could be anyone. <laughs> uh, We're sorry, West Virginia. I'm not. Um, what did you think of the choices Aubrey made or the reaction she had during this little arc? Part of it is interesting because if Griffin is setting up Aubrey to be the player surrogate or the listener surrogate of the group, I think it is also interesting to set her up as the least experienced one. Uh, in one of those two mesh, I think it's harder because then you're mixing a lack of knowledge with a lack of competence. So the choices she has made, though, the, cho- the choices that Travis has made, I think don't demonstrate a lack of competence. It seems weird to me because it seems to me like it displays a lot of competence and experience, but in the wrong areas. She gets a sawed-off shotgun pointed at her point blank, and her reaction is, you know, please apologize to my rabbit. Right. Like, that doesn't track to me, track for me. On the other hand... She says during her act, and she's been a magician for a number of years, she says during her act, I need an assistant. And she's referring to her rabbit, even though everybody's inclination would be she's looking for a volunteer from the audience. Right. So why is she so practiced and calm under pressure when she has a gun pointed at her, but doesn't realize how to trigger audience participation? Well, A... She's not a very good magician yet, so maybe she's just been doing it bad for a while. B, not a lot of magical mentorship opportunities in West Virginia, I would guess. Now, we don't know Aubrey's, like, homelands. Correct. All it was said during the setup episode that she is from that area. Yeah. Virginia. The real Virginia. West Virginia. The other Virginia. Yeah, which, I mean, Virginia and West, well, Virginia is very diverse, so... It would really be, there are plenty of magic schools in Virginia, I think. I have no way of knowing that. Well, so, I mean, if you're talking, what we're talking about, though, is showmanship. If we're, to focus on that bit about, about sure. needing an assistant and pulling out a rabbit, and then, because that also contrasts with her trying to invite the woman in the duster up on stage. Yes. And very quickly accepting a nod, uh, like a wave off, like, I don't want I did think that was funny, and I think... Um, Justin has sort of knocked on on, uh, Griffin for this a bit, where he sets up this scenario, something happens, and then Griffin goes, "Uh, no. No. No, and, and, you know, um, Justin has hit him with, like, okay, let's try that again. This time, say yes and. Right. You know, the rules of improv. That was the same sort of thing. He set it up. He made it obvious that this woman in the duster is important. But not yet. Travis tried to include her to see what would happen, and Griffin goes, no, 
No, I don't think so. You're, we're not ready for that yet. Right, but I think that would um, that would play into an inexperienced stage person of you don't get a positive affirmation from the first get-go, I'm going to move on to somebody else, and I'm going to go for this kid. Um, which I think you're right, doesn't make a lot of sense if they then have experience with having guns pointed at them. I also would say that I don't fully understand how Travis um, puts together everything is on fire, let me try to calm myself down, uh, and that that then, I mean, obviously turns into the fix. Mm-hmm. But is that because there was I worry about like I guess crossover between Griffin's need Griffin's and where Griffin wants the story to go and where Travis wants them to go and the two of them reading each other in sort of like we know where the story has to go so let's do this together and that, and that was a part that sort of uh, I felt a little bit of discrepancy between this character we got at the setup where these sort of magical powers were going to be new. Versus what we've got now where, oh, actually, these magical powers have always sort of been there. Right. And I've dealt with them in the past. There was, That's a very different character to play. There was some real-time retcons going on. Um, well, especially if you want to talk about sort of typical Monster of the Week shows where when someone manifests magical powers, it generally comes from a traumatic event or some other big moment. If lighting a hotel on fire is the moment it did not play out enough for it to become yeah no one got hurt yeah like you know nothing bad happened i aside from a woman very aggressively threatening a learned scholar in philosophy but yeah uh you're talking about the rabbit yes i'm talking about the rabbit i did not think that that was a triggering event in the setup episode if you recall I don't. Um, Travis mentions something sparks this, uh, and I ah. believe I believe Clint says maybe it's something in the Cryptonomicon, and Griffin says, "Well, I already have a pretty good idea of what it is." Um, and maybe he was thinking about the Lodge Fire. I think he's talking about the activation of the gate, though. Agreed. That arch. So, which would mean that she then has gained powers without really her knowledge of it or an event but then like an, an event she knows about but then i i doubly question going into deep breathing to try to calm down yes that, yeah again right like because there's a like, lack of you know that's a that's a skill that you have yeah. if you've been dealing with this your whole life right and but if this gate opening turned it on then you don't have that skill and if a wall's on fire and i'm there I'm not going to be there for long enough to take a couple deep breaths. Well, and, and Travis calls out that, you know, she is an experienced enough fire magician that she always has a fire extinguisher under the table. Which means, if this was, if things being on fire and not in her control was a common occurrence, or had happened previously, her natural reaction would be to go for the fire extinguisher. Not to calm herself down and then go for the fire extinguisher. Yes, that did seem strange. So... I don't think we're going to get much more out of that. I think that's just going to exist as a that was a weird bit of role play and and Griffin Griffineering. Can we call things Griffineering when Griffin I, engineers things? I think that's a good word for it. Thank you. Um, I did. I was very clever when you put two words together like that. I, TM TM TM. <laughs> I, was, I don't think we're allowed to do that. I'm pretty sure that would be his. 
It's him. No, it could be any griffin. It could be the magical griffin. With a Y. Yeah. Why? Um, so, yeah, I was a little disappointed in that snippet we got from Aubrey because it, in the same way Duck's character, or Duck, felt very grounded and real, this one didn't because the reaction to what was happening did not make sense to me. Um, the way a showman would introduce a rabbit into the set would not be how she did it. A reaction to getting a gun pointed at your face would not be, you know, to do nothing and then tell the woman to apologize. Or you know, no, and I think I think that's right. And um, I was playing Final Fantasy, so that reflects on my other comment where I was like, "Oh, these are all super grounded." Sorry, sorry, Trav. Um. <laughs> no, I you know, and I would say too, if you want to play the card of if she is an experienced show person, like you know, Master of the Ring, kind of deal. I could see being very cool with a gun in your face, knowing that you can talk your way out of any situation. But that hasn't been demonstrated either. Correct. So I could see being, while I don't think apologize to the rabbit is the most quick-witted thing you can come up with, if in that character, if that character is the expert stage person. But then would she have made the mistakes during the show that she did? Right. Uh, the real magic aside, the... I need a special assistant, and everybody, I mean, you know, even Griffin misread it, because all the kids shot their hand up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hands up. Um, so, I don't know. Ten kids, one hand. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. all put it in one of those big, like, we're number one fists, they just put them all together. Got, tried to get it really That is high. a much more positive image than what I had in my head, so let's run with that. This is like some backwards... Some backwards conjoined twin kind of deal. It's like putting no. It's just Let's like see. a birthday party for kids without hands. And what, what is a backwards conjoined twin situation? <laughs> is that suturing kids together? Is that what human centipede style? Like it's human mono hands. <laughs> so you take everybody's hands, interlock them, and then sew them all together. Yes. Cool. Mono hands up towards the sky. For catching the sun. For catching the sun. Okay. What for to catch the sun? Right. So then we end up at Ned's Necronomicon. Yes. Cryptonomicon. Woo! Yes. We get that wrong a lot. Surprise face. Chris got something wrong. Cryptonomicon. Cryptonomicon. Uh, so Ned and Kirby are there. And I think, so I had honestly the most trouble with this bit. And I don't know how you fix it, because if in the world that Griffin is creating, Ned and Kirby have this established relationship, I don't know how you get Ned to know that, unless he and Clint have to talk about it beforehand. Well, and maybe the answer is they should have talked about it beforehand. I did think it was funny, and I I don't know that Clint has done a lot of theater. I just don't. I'm not sure, but he did not yes and anything <laughs> during that segment. I know now. Why on Twitter he goes by Dr. Curmudgeon. Ned was not nice. For no reason. He's just a grump. Right. Which is fine. I mean, it could be some of his bit. I could imagine when forming the character, he runs this thing. He's kind of solitary, probably standoffish. And being forced into a situation where you would be personally familiar with this person. I think if I was playing that character, I would also default to... No, who the fuck are you? Like, uh, why are you in my store? I don't want this. And 
reacting very strongly to having someone forced into your life when you had written a character that might have been in a more solitary kind of world. Sure, sure, but I do think, I, and I agree with that, it may have not matched with the background he had set up for the character. Yeah. But I do think there has to be something of just rolling with the punches. Griffin did mention, look, he's very comfortable, Kirby's very comfortable there. It's clear he goes there a lot. Yeah. That they have some sort of relationship, and Ned's reaction is, what are you doing in my store? Right. Well, you know what I'm doing. Well, but I would also say, like, at one point, um, Kirk, you know, Ned says, well, I need money, or, you know, whatever it is, and, and Kirby says, well, we could do what we always do, which is not a lot of help from Griffin to try to give, and so either Griffin wants Clint to fill in the gap of, what would be the grift that you would run? Agreed. But I think that is more logical leaps that I would expect to be making in episode one yes, with a brand new NPC. Assuming they didn't talk about it before. Yeah, which based on the interaction, I don't think they did. It didn't feel like it. Yeah. I would have hoped they would have covered some of this if, yeah. if they had beforehand. Yeah, I agree uh, with that. So, which gets into a weird thing, which we sort of talked about earlier, about whether it's a storytelling, it's a storytelling podcast or a gameplay podcast. Like, if you want to tell this story and you want to have established relationships, you might need to do some off, quote-unquote, off-camera work to establish these things so people know what they're walking into. Right, and I think that makes sense. I think it is hard to start um, any game, really, with these pre-established relationships, especially when that was not asked of Doc or Aubrey. Right. It's only asked of Ned. That, oh yeah, you know this guy, you know what he's doing in your shop, you know... It is a lot of assumptions for Clint to make that I don't think is necessarily fair. You know, so it didn't really bother me uh, that much um, because I have a friend whose reactions to such a situation would be very much like Ned's. And right now, he's looking awkwardly about as we're recording this podcast realizing that I'm talking about him. But I think I think that there's enough to say that you know given a certain level of friendship you're probably likely to just sort of dick around a bit and throw it back at each other and you know sure there are story events that have happened that are not very clear, but I don't necessarily think that the relationship Maybe is not as weird. grounded as Kirby it could never be. threw it back. He said, right, "Oh, he was just on. kind of genial." You know what this is about. You know what I do. You know what we like. He never gave it as good as he got. Well, it seemed like what you know the dialogue Griffin was giving was was very much of just accept that I'm here and let's move forward. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a hard thing to do when effectively you're like snapping your fingers and Ned and Kirby have popped into the space and Kirby knows the backstory and Ned is trying to figure it out. That's, um, yeah. And I, you know, I, I do think, you know, the other two characters are getting to build their relationship as they meet people, whereas Ned was asked to do arguably the greater acting job of drop yourself into a situation where you have presumably years of history with this person to then make it up on the spot in that 45 minutes. In the, in, well, in that, in, or what his part was, like 15 minutes. Right, right. His part did seem a lot shorter than uh, J- 
Justin's or Travis's. Yes. I don't know if you guys felt the same way. But there wasn't a lot happening in that scene. Well, and I, you know, so I was of two minds of it. And one is that it seems like Ned and his establishment are going to be very central to the plot. So I wonder if Griffin has seen into the future, into his future of the story he's writing and seen what their, what Ned's, you know, screen time is going to be and said, like, we're going to get, he's going to have his moments. Or if it was like, we just need to move forward. Ned just has these NPCs. It just kind of has to exist. These two people, you know, Duck and Aubrey need to build these relationships and get going and have more of a journey to take than Ned does. On the, on the in the scale of the arc, sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Janice also arrives, which I think might have been my favorite NPC of just yeah. the. Well, yeah. boom, boom, boom. Bye, Felicia. Yeah, like the sort of kindly but very businesslike mail carrier. I do think it's interesting to include things like that, um, which obviously there's a story point to it. At least at this point. Janice bears nothing to the story, really. Um, but that he would bother to include such a character, I think, is telling of Griffin in terms of world building. Do you think it's? Oh, prob- do you yeah. think Janice is just flavor text? I I kind of hope so. If she comes back and is the big bad or something like that, I don't be a little disappointed because I think uh, you know in a lot of the shows I love. Um, like The Wire or The West Wing, part of what makes it so strong is the idea of that the world exists whether these characters are there or not. No, and I, and I think that's a good point because it would have been just as easy to have the eviction notice fall through the mail slot, mm-hmm. completely unseen, uninteracted with. But I think what this helps us do is build that sense of community about Kepler because there are other people living there and other circles interacting well, and i think there's a there's a common thread of if you know the name of your mail carrier carrier and they know you it brings it conjures certain images of the town you're in yeah. the relationships you have and things like that yeah absolutely. so so i think fair i i thought that janice might be something more but i am inclined to go along with that she's flavor text and there's this good world building yeah i think she might be something more but i hope she is I could see her coming back as also like, and part-time town council president. Sure. Which I think could be interesting. Or like, when at the end of the Lost Boys, the grandpa's like, you know, the worst thing about this town is all the damn vampires. Like how she actually knows everything that's... I haven't seen that. You've got... Oh my God. I do I do think there's a chance Janice becomes a super competent woman that saves Trace Holmes' voice. Yeah, no, no, and, and that's what I'm saying. As, like, as they do in every arc. <laughs> yep. Like, there is, like, that surprise reveal that this world, like, more people know about this world than you thought. Like, right. you can ask for help in unexpected places. And I think I think that adds to this community aspect that I think we're trying to build. Or, you know, that the three of us are See, trying to build yeah. for this for this storyline. Trying to experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that kind of ties into the fact that maybe, you know, kind of building off of what Chris mentioned earlier about her comeback as a potential town council president or something like that, this idea of, you know, could the straight-laced people know about the cryptozoological side and just don't want it advertised because that's not a way to make, that's not a, a, 
a foreseeable way forward. Yeah. And so they want to brush it under the rug. Sort of like a hot fuzz it. situation, exactly. right? Like yeah, where exactly. they're like, okay, we have to preserve the perfect image of this town. Right. Right. Because that's how we're going to survive. Yeah. And that's I, an interesting thought. I hadn't like put those pieces together. And I might be reading a little too far into the character of Janus, but <laughs> I'm excited for her to get killed by the Patrick Peach next episode, and it, to me, nothing. Yes, yes, uh, that's probably what will happen. So the zone, zone of postulation. The zone of postulation. We all get one pick of a thing. I don't know. What are we Look, we're playing Calvin Ball with our own <laughs> podcast. This is great. All right, go ahead. So, um, away. Aubrey has to get. So, next episode, we need to resolve Aubrey, Duck, and Ned coming together. Yes, that is not a postulation. <laughs> well, but I, so the means by which they get there, a uh, woman who has uh, is with Aubrey now is somehow connected to some secret society that's hunting cryptids. They know about Ned's Necronomicon. Ned has some sort of object. Aubrey is sent in to get said object. Duck. So, Duck sees the monster, and the only person that he can think of to ask this question of is Ned. Is Ned. Right. Who Fair. he knows doesn't right. believe, right. but he didn't believe either. Or and knows that Ned has resources. I think you're all wrong. Surprised face. Um, here's what I think will happen. When the lady takes Aubrey, uh, and I forget the lady's name. Mama. Mama. Yes, when Mama takes Aubrey, she says, why are you so far from the gate? Which we believe is in the woods based on Griffin's narration. Right. So she's going back into the woods with Aubrey to go to the gate. Yep. Doc is in the woods looking for Pete. Uh, Ned is going into the woods to pose as Bigfoot. Okay. Who shares a lot of similar characteristics to the beast that was described by Pigeon. So, Duck, Dick, Dick Cheney's Ned. Yes. Well, no. No. Dick no. Cheney shot somebody. Right. Dick Cheney was not shot by somebody. Right. Duck, Dick Cheney. Oh. Ned. Duck is... Dick Cheney. Is Ned's Dick Cheney. Dick mm. Cheney is a verb. Okay, okay. We done lost the thread again, y'all. Right. Duck, Dick Cheney's Ned. Yes, I think Duck inadvertently is ends up hunting Ned, which will somehow end up with Mama and Aubrey joining the fray in the woods. So I think that's where this is. Is that band still anyway. existing? What? Oh, uh, <laughs> come on. Um, I think a lot of this episode is going to take place in the Mahangalia. Monongahela. In the Monongahela forest. Anyway, so I think that's where they're going to meet. Do you think that Mama then becomes the quest giver, quote-unquote, of this storyline to send them off on, like, oh, y'all got to go fix this if there's a thing out there? I think there is a decent chance. Good talk. (laughs) That was very resolute. All right. I can live with that. Um, so next week we will open with the zone of truth and we'll fess up about everything we got wrong, Oof, which gonna is going to be a lot. It's going to be, but I might need a cone of silence too, just to let it all out. <laughs> I don't know how many references we are legally allowed to fit in one podcast. Well, we're going to find out. <laughs> um, thanks for listening. Uh, I hope we fix all of this in post. Yeah. 
I guess that's the best place to end it. Thanks for listening. We'll fix it in post. Uh, and hopefully we'll uh, talk to you again next week. Hey, everybody. It's your co-host, Chris. Here in post, fixing it. Hard to believe this is the fixed version, right? Thanks for spending the last hour with us. We Do That comes out every Monday after the Adventure Zone. See you next week.